Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. More powerful than telling everyone what you're doing and getting them excited, uh, you have the ability to tell people what you don't do, um, which is something we also struggled with, where we tried to be, we're a very large institution, organization, movement all around the world. H.com you know, gets over a million people visiting it uh, per month. But, but you know, the, every time someone have an idea, oh, let's do this, let's do that. Yeah. When you set forth this vision, it's kind of like, you know, oh, well, no, no, you guys can do that. That's fine. We're happy. Or like, we're going to start the process here and then hand people to other institutions, organizations, because this is where we begin and end. That is very powerful for an institution. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 63. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Stephen Berg. Rabbi Stephen Berg is the CEO of H Global, a worldwide movement committed to educating all Jews about Jewish wisdom through innovative programs and content, ensuring the vibrant continuity of the Jewish people. Previously, he was the Eastern Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, where he oversaw the Museum of Tolerance in New York City and contributed to the center's fight against anti-Semitism. He also served as Managing Director of the Orthodox Union and as the International Director of NCSY, a large international Jewish youth movement. And by the way, the bio that I got has so much more, but in the interest of our conversation, I kept it there. Stephen is an incredible person is doing so much. Really, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. My pleasure. It's my honor to be here with you. Well, thank you so much. And it's like, you know, I see the backdrop as Jerusalem over here, but at the same time, we're actually in the same community having conversation. What a crazy, crazy world uh, it has been. So I actually want to jump right there if I can, because, you know, you have a lot of leadership experience. It's not that often that I get to talk to nonprofit leaders, which excites me a tremendous amount because I do a lot of my coaching with nonprofit leaders. I'm a former educator and school leader myself. So I, I want to get into that in a little bit, but I just want to start with more of a general question, you know, because leadership is difficult under all circumstances. You know, I've written a book about it. Thousands upon thousands of people have written books about it. As I can see every time I look at my numbers on Amazon. So I know there's a ton of content that is leadership specific. And yet at the same time, you know, we have a hard time figuring out, let's call it because it's so personal and so intricate and there's so much going on. But I would, I would say that even more so now because of COVID, things are really, really different in that regard. And I'm just curious, Stephen, from your perspective, how has your leadership changed as a result of COVID? Yeah, I think the, the world's changed <laughs> by definition. I think we've, we've all changed. Um, you know, I just tell you that uh, I've been through a lot of things in my career. I've seen a lot of things go up and down. And I think as most people, you know, we've never encountered anything like this. Um, it's like something out of a science fiction novel. And uh, I say that, that uh, for myself personally, my, I mean, my personal story was that when COVID first hit, I, I remember this right before Purim, you know, we decided the week of Purim because, you know, uh, different things. We're just going to shut the building and then, you know, just it's, we're better off that week and then we'll open it up right afterwards. And, and here we are over a year later. Yeah. Our Asian World Center has been closed. Um, and and I remember after it started getting much more serious, just 
I'm a pretty live and let live, go with the flow guy. And I remember like thinking to myself, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay for my institution when I have no revenue, people not coming, like everything's closed. And you know, I had that like pit in the bottom of my stomach, which I'm sure a lot of folks in nonprofit and for-profit. Absolutely. Had. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time figuring out exactly how to do that. And then we actually, uh, once we had that done and, and, you know, we cut our costs 75% and we were able to, to manage everything. And, and thankfully, you know, Asia's coming out of uh, COVID with, with zero debt. Um, thank God we were able well, that's to great. that. Yeah. It's, it's, thank God. Uh, but we also actually totally revamped our mission and what we do. And, and, and we took the time we started last May and June to totally rethink um, the way we do everything from top to bottom. Nice. Been, it's been a, a tragic time for so many families, but an exciting time for us to, to, to be able to, to take a step back and figure out how we want to move forward. Cool. So I, I, don't, I want to drill deeper. A couple of quick things. First of all, for the uninitiated, Purim is a Jewish holiday. And it's interesting, Stephen, because I was listening before. Today also marks, the day we're recording this, marks the one-year anniversary of the suspension of the NBA season. When the NBA wow. decided to, to, to suspend all games, I think it was actually right before tip-off, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Houston against somebody, I don't remember, that they stopped that. So a lot of anniversary type things all happening around now. And what a year really it has been. But, sure. but now that you mentioned this idea of revamping and rethinking, before I get into some of the other questions I want to ask you, that's such an important one because it speaks to change management. It speaks to strategy, mission, and purpose. Uh, without getting too specific, of course, you have to sort of protect the, the organizational secrets and all, but, but maybe share a little bit about what did that, first of all, what prompted you to revamp and, and what did that process look like? Because I, we have listeners here who are from all stripes, right? There's nonprofit leaders and, and for-profit leaders, corporate execs and, and others who are listening, who are trying to glean real leadership lessons from my guests. And I, I, I'm very proud of the fact that I bring really high quality people into these conversations. So if you're already telling us, you can't, you can't tease us like that and not give us a little bit more. What, what did that look like for you? And what was the result? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, look, we, um, I think we're very typical in terms of the ebb and flow of institutions. We've been around 45 years um, the institution was built by Rabbi Noah Weinberg, who was an uh, inspirational, charismatic individual. Uh, and he passed away about 11, 12 years ago. And then the organization really started to struggle uh, because like many of them, you know, the, the founder was, was the glue that kept every, everything together. Sure. Um, and therefore, I was brought in six years ago to kind of revitalize um, Aish. And it, it's, it's a typical story, very typical in that we were a small nonprofit, small business that became very large internally, never caught up. So our financial systems, you know, our budgeting, every, everything was still kind of mom and pop. Mm -hmm. You know, you still see this in Silicon Valley, like every day, you know, you have these startups and at some point Google's got to bring in Eric Schmidt or, you know, Facebook's got to bring in Sheryl Sandberg or, you know, you have to really kind of take a step back to take a step forward. Sure. Um, and so without our charismatic leader, with some of these issues, that's really what happened. And uh, about a year and a half ago, we hired a new spiritual um, head, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Berkowitz. And so it was him coming in, plus all the, we had done so much work the last couple of years, I've been there six years, that we were ready for that next step. Uh, and the way we took that next step, and I, I don't mind, you know, sharing our trade secrets, we're a fairly transparent, trans transparent operation. 
Um, we decided to use something called EOS, called mm -hmm. Entrepreneurial Operating System. A lot of people know it. You can Google it. It's a very, very famous business system. Um, we work with, uh, there were two people, uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Levine and Amy Holtz, who kind of uh, pitched me on the system and said, this is a good system for nonprofits. And they've been working to get nonprofits on that system. And I'll tell you what appealed to us. And, and this will speak to a lot of your nonprofit uh, folks out there, which is uh, they believe very much in structure and systems, but they also believe very much in vision. And, you know, they even have some line to the effect of, you know, uh, vision without implementation is delusion. Mm. For us, you know, Asia's always had massive vision, but we haven't always been able to figure out how to get it done on the ground. And so this system, we basically took a step back. We started last May, June. Um, we restructured everything. We actually merged between Jerusalem and New York, our New York and Jerusalem operations. And the head of H New York, uh, Rabbi Elliot Mathias, became our COO in charge of, uh, of our programming. And we decided we need a really audacious, big 10-year vision. Uh, and we decided that vision was, through our Rabbi Berkowitz, uh, was going to be that we were going to uh, get 3 million Jews to study Torah. Now, that's 20% of the overall Jewish population. Uh, it's a very large number. Uh, it's targeting people that right now aren't necessarily um, studying, you know, uh, the Bible and all those different areas. Uh, but it was a, it was something that we felt that in 10 years we could accomplish. Um, and so we pushed our whole organization. And I'll tell you what, what it really did, and I think you'll you'll appreciate this. Go ahead. Everyone, the ability to articulate what we do, which which is funny, but so many of us nonprofit, for profit, in every space. We struggle to explain to people who we are and what we do. So, you know, if you'll if you'll talk to one of our students who's kind of junior on the totem pole, and you say to them, you say, uh, "Well, you know, uh, sure, what do they do?" They say, "Oh, well, you know, in ten years, we would like to get te uh, three million Jews to study Torah," and that's beginning the end. Now, it's very complex. There's a lot of demographics out there. Where our first major shift uh, and push is online. You know, where our demographics eighteen to twenty-five. You're going to use uh, TikTok. And Instagram, sure. uh, you know, 25 to 39 is going to be maybe more entering into Facebook and then 39 above. So there's, there's a lot there. Uh, but but that was really how we went through COVID saying, mm. OK, we're going to take this step back and we're going to figure out how we're going to get it out in a, in a strong art. Yeah. And that's really neat because I'm hearing also some marketing pieces there. The last part about finding them where they are, right, meeting them where they are and, and serving them where they are. Not just saying, here's our service, come find us, right? You coming to them and, and, and making that connection. Because Aish, I don't know if you formally spelled this out, but you're an international organization. You mentioned New York and Jerusalem, but you've got uh, rabbinic staff all throughout the world, you know, in different places. Um, and so you have a lot to offer. The question is, do people know about you and do people know what they could benefit from by taking advantage of those various services? And when you put it, when you put a number to it, so I don't know exactly what it means when you talk about all these people learning Torah, you know, I know what the Torah is and I know what learning means, but of course, there's a quantification within that, but leaving that alone, it kind of reminds me of Steve jobs and Apple and a thousand songs in your pocket, you know, when they marketed, uh, the 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 iPod the first time around I believe it was, so when you put a number to it, it's short, it's succinct, it's easy to remember. It creates purpose and mission behind everything you do, and it also helps people rally behind it because if they can connect with the idea of people studying Torah, if they see that as valuable and they see that the number being what it is needs to be increased, then automatically you can put people behind you. 
which I think is really neat. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, to be frank and honest, more powerful than telling everyone what you're doing and getting them excited, uh, you have the ability to tell people what you don't do, um, which is something we also struggled with, where we tried to be, we're a very large institution, organization, movement all around the world. H.com you know, gets over a million people visiting it uh, per month. But, but you know, the, every time someone have an idea, oh, let's do this, let's do that. Yeah. When you set forth this vision, it's kind of like, you know, oh, well, no, no, you guys can do that. That's fine. We're happy. Or like, we're going to start the process here and then hand people to other institutions, organizations, because this is where we begin and end. That is very powerful for an institution. It sure is. And since I already mentioned Steve Jobs, I'll mention one other story. It's actually in my book. Um, it's well known that when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, so round number two, this is really where the company took off. So he said to everyone, I think he put a, like a matrix up on the board and it said maybe PC and laptop, home and office. And anything that fit within that space, those were the things that were gonna work on, everything else they were gonna leave alone. So it kind of really narrowed the focus in a way that allowed people to you know, put all of their energy, their creativity, their ingenuity, towards something in particular, rather than trying to be everything to everyone, which as Seneca says, if you're everything, to, if, if you're everywhere, you're nowhere, right? So if you're everything to everyone, you're really nothing to anybody. And that's, that's a, that's a, that's a precipitous slope to be on, especially for a nonprofit that really does want to raise the bar for its constituents. Like you want to do everything for them. You really want to give and give and give, but if you try to do too much, then you can't really focus on anything in particular. And of course you wind up under servicing rather than, than the opposite. So that's really neat. You know, I'm, I'm sure we could spend a lot yeah. of time here. I, I do want mm -hmm. to talk a bit on education because I'm a big believer. Sure. You know, I think there's so many lessons that the corporate world can learn from, from educators, from schools, from educational institutions. And I know I'm biased by saying that because that's my background, but I, I genuinely do believe it. And I do believe that leaders have a responsibility both openly, overtly, let's call it, in terms of actual training, actual processes and as well as covertly, meaning to say like just leading by example, we have to be able to educate our people, right? What are our standards and values? How do we operate? How do we, how do we become successful? So I'm just curious of your take. You're an educator, right? You've been educating people. You talk, we talked earlier about, you know, educating the world on anti-Semitism and on equality and on, you know, good citizenship. And I know you've talked about it in a number of different ways recently with Saturday Night Live and all of that. Um, unfortunate stuff that's been going on and um, network news and things. And of course, your work at AISH as well. So what are your thoughts about education as it relates specifically to leadership? You know, education is, is so important. I mean, you have to, you have to, A, you, you yourself have to be educated about the issues, about the, the things that go into it. Um, and then to kind of bring it to others, you know, we, we're wrestling with this right now because we really are an educational institution. Um, we have a, a school that's there on the premises. We educate people around the world. Uh, and we're, we're grappling with the fact that um, so many people, as you said before, are accessible by just going to where they are. Uh, every single Jew in the world is accessible by social media today, pretty much. Um, and the question is, how? it's more along the lines of how do you catch their attention? There's just so much bombarding us, you know, all over the place. We've been working on a plan uh, which we're calling edutainment which really, you know, you want to educate people, but you want to make it entertaining because in that way uh, they're appreciating it. And um, it's also about trying to get your messages out in, in smaller sound bites. As you mentioned, you know, I, I've been on many different news programs throughout the years, everywhere from Fox News to Al Jazeera. I've been 
in all places. And basically the way you can get on a news program is you have to say your thoughts in like 30 seconds or 60 seconds. You know, it's, it's, it, you have to have the information, but be able to really give it out succinctly. And it's tough. It's really tough to be impactful in a small amount of time. And that's why I think everyone in the world is wrestling with, you know, we have, um, we have just started to, to really, in terms of social media, we have Jamie Geller, who's a, a major uh, social media presence who, who's uh, working all this stuff. But we started something that was called, uh, you know, uh, wrestling with God, like a small thing on TikTok. And we're using all kinds of young Jews to give over stuff in 30 seconds and 45 seconds, 60 seconds, and to give answers to questions back and forth. And so what's interesting is, as I've said many times, which is the, the Bible doesn't change delivery mechanisms do, right? The way we get it across, the way we educate. And I think that education is the most important thing in the world. And so on the one hand, we could sit back and say, well, you know what? People just have to want to be educated. Or we can say, okay, look, people's minds just have changed. You know, Isha Torah, when we started was in the 1970s where people were truth seekers. They were traveling around the world and they were going to cults and ashrams and all these interesting places. And then the world changed on us. And so therefore we had to change we had to make a decision. Either you can be like Kodak and, you know, fall by the wayside as everyone's got a camera on their phone, or you can say, look, I've got great material, but I'm going to try and figure out how to get it in front of people and inspire them. And, and so let me jump in first. Let me jump in for one second, if I may, because that's great, but I'm trying to translate it now into the mindset of somebody who's not necessarily putting a message to the world from an institutional standpoint. I was actually thinking also about educating your own people. So in other words, how does the leader, so, you, so you're the leader of your, of your organization, right? People look up to you, they look for you, to you for guidance. Granted, you have Rabbi Berkowitz as well, and each of you have your roles, but you are educating people directly by sharing information and through example in many cases. So I was curious to get that angle of it also, because people who are running companies, sure. they want their people to continue to grow. They don't want to stagnate either, right? Oh, so what are your no. thoughts there? Yeah, I, I tell you, one of the things that I've done for the last six years, and, and I really recommend it, is I send out a weekly email, you know, mm -hmm. um, which goes Inter out to internal, internal, it, it's internal, external, but I'm, I write the entire first part myself. And it, it, it and I take so much time every week, because there's a point of the company I'm accentuating every single time. And so many of our staff said, you know, I never knew what was going on over there. I never know what's going on over here. And now I'm finding out about it. And, and we also, we've run town hall meetings. I think town hall meetings are the most important tool bar none that a CEO or an executive director can, can use because what we do in, in H, we did it monthly. Obviously COVID's made it, made it a little more difficult, but you know, once a month we would have lunch all together. You know, we come in for lunch 15 minutes and then we'd start a program for about half an hour where we introduce different parts of what was going on. People ask questions. Um, and then, you know, and then we kind of move on with our day. And I think those kind of instances, you can never assume that the people that work for you know what's going on. You know, yeah. you just assume that. And therefore, uh, you have to be very strategic and share information. The other point is, I mentioned earlier, is being transparent. You've got to be very open. You have to let people ask any question they want. When, when I took over H about six years ago, there was a branch conference. We had branches around the world. They got together in Denver. And I remember getting up there and, and kind of talking about Jerusalem and saying, okay, Ask me anything you want. And, and people ask questions about the budget. People like, like you know, and, and I'm like, we're not the CIA. What in the world do I need to keep from you? Right. And that sometimes people get very secretive. Like, I don't know. I'm in this meeting. You don't need to be in this meeting. 
Like it's not, it's not, you know, rocket science, you know, like, like invite people in, bring more people in, find excuses to bring more people in, mentor people. The more information people have, the better they're going to do their job, even if it's on a different part of the, of the business. Yeah. So breaking down silos is what I'm hearing, you know, allowing people to understand what's going on elsewhere. And by, by being that person, by sort of setting that tone of information sharing, of transparency, of openness, so that also, I would imagine, encourages people to seek answers to questions that they might have had, which until now maybe remained dormant or went you know, to the water cooler or underground or whatever that might look like. Um, and that, of course, creates more positivity, builds morale for the most part, I would imagine. You know, a lot of good stuff there. So um, that's really neat. And, and I want to sort of stay in that for a moment if I can, because I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a question about purpose. What about purpose, about mission? Um, it, it's not difficult if you're in the field of education to find purpose and mission, right? I think it's pretty straightforward. That's why you that's why you opened your doors in the first place. That's why Rabbi Weinberg got started. He wanted to take people who are disconnected and alienated and bring them back to their heritage. I mean, I, maybe you wouldn't say it exactly that way, but that's sort of my take on it. Um, so it's it's clear and obvious in that regard. And that's what I think lights people up. In a for-profit business, so yeah, there's there's profit, right? There's there's the bottom line. I want to feed my family, take care of my family, do all that good stuff. That's that's really important too. But it may be a little bit harder if the work that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis feels a little bit more, let's call it mundane, or not necessarily uplifting. Maybe it doesn't connect to my soul, that type of thing. So what advice would you give to leaders who are looking to find their purpose? And and then what can they do to take action towards achieving it? Yeah, you know, I, uh, it's, it's interesting what you mentioned in terms of for-profits. You know, Jack Welch, I'm a huge fan of, of his writings. And he once said that what the average person wants, they, it's not about money. He said it's about a voice and dignity. They want to be listened to and they want to be treated appropriately. And I would just say for, for leaders, number one is your, your staff are, are your family. You have to like... Part of my purpose has always been, and I think it's anyone's purpose, is I've got people relying on me and, and, and we're building something. We're creating something. These are the people I interact with. It's not just like, let's just put out a product. And I think people respond to that. I think they, they know if you care about them and you listen to them. And, and I try to do this. A lot of leaders have a hard time listening, you know, and they struggle with that. But if you listen, you could be so much better. And I think for leaders, you have to view yourself as it's not, again, just about the product. It's all the people I'm interacting with. It's my customers. It's my employees. It's like I'm, I'm leading them. I'm helping them have better lives. I'm helping them have a qualitative better life. I'm trying to really make the world a better place. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm fulfilling my civic duty or, or, or what have you. I'm really getting involved to, to be a leader in the community. And, and I think, you know, we all know of big companies where people have done that versus where people have not done that. And some of the most successful companies, it really is when the leaders viewed themselves as so much more. It wasn't just like, especially when you talk about Silicon Valley, or you talk about, about you know, Steve Jobs, who's a fascinating biography, but I really believe that he understood that he was improving people's lives. And to a certain extent, he did. And I think that really fed into him. And, and so even if someone wants to save money, the irony here is you will make more money and be more successful if you view yourself in this way. If you're just going after the money, chances are you're going to be callous and people are not, not going to want to follow you as much as if you have, you know, your heart's kind of out there on display for everyone. Beautiful. I heard a couple of things in there about uh, Mark Twain, I think is the one who said <clears throat> that we have two ears and one mouth, right? And we need to listen more and talk less. So that was really cool. 
Um, I, I will share with you, I remember once reading that the folks over at John Deere who make that, you know, all the agricultural um, lawn equipment and whatnot, that oftentimes they will take their people out into the fields. They'll take them, you know, to the end users and say, this is what we do. This is the impact it's having on the lives of our farmers on the lives of many of our other people, because that does instill purpose as well. So if you do see yourself, like you're saying, as a facilitator of, of, of quality of life, of, of reduced costs, of other things that help other people, that is an easy way to see purpose besides for helping your employees and helping them, you know, have their own income and whatnot. So um, that was a really nice way, uh, Stephen, to, to end this segment. I thank you for that. And I'm, I'm sure that we would talk all day because I, I just feel like everything we talk about has so much more to go into, but we are going to transition now to our rapid fire segment. And I'd like to begin with a quote. Is there a quote that you live by or think about often that you could share? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a Judaic quote, you know, I'll say in Hebrew translated, you know, Hashem Nasan Hashem Laka, you know, God gives, God takes. And I think that we just have to know that, that for me, my driving force has been God and the Almighty and much of what I have done has been for him, but with an understanding that he gives and takes. And just as we love him for the giving, we have to understand that things are taken from us. And so many of us obsessed with like, why is this happening to me? I think God is just, you know, he loves us so much and he's trying to see how badly we want something or how much we can accomplish, et cetera. So that's been very much my guiding principle is not to sit, sit back and cry if something's not going our way, but really say like, okay, look, it's another challenge. We just got to, you know, the almighty wants to see how much we, we want to tackle it. Absolutely. And I know you're sitting in New Jersey, but you got the backdrop of Jerusalem. So I do have to ask you, since you travel a lot, at least you used to, a little known tip for internet intercontinental travel that would help us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I travel. I mean, even through COVID, I've been to Israel four times. Thank God uh, to get around. But generally, I travel almost every single week when I'm there. And, and for me, traveling in different parts of the world, Latin America, North America, Europe, Israel, is you get to, to meet people. Um, that wouldn't, it's, you know, we, we're so homogeneous and we're like, you know, we kind of live in neighborhoods. We're all kind of alike. You know, I think, I think most of the world's like that. And, and when you go to these other places, you have to really absorb the culture and absorb the people like Latin American folks are just very warm and beautiful and loving. And in Europe, this is, there's another, you know, kind of presence. And, you know, someone once told me when I was in Germany, I used to do a lot of work in Germany. They said, you know, if you speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you speak three languages, you're trilingual. If you speak one language, you're American. Right. And, and the point was that as Americans, sometimes we get very caught up yes. kind of in America. And there's this big, beautiful world out there with such uh, wonderful people. And people should just take the time to appreciate it if they can, they can get out there. Cool. Nice. OK. The coolest thing about overlooking the Western Wall. Uh, it's just that's God's resting place. It just, you know, you look out and, you know, as they say, it's a long distance call for most people. It's a local call for us. Um, and, you know, you look out there and you see the history. One of the greatest moments of my career was when the Secretary of Treasury, Mnuchin, came in and we were supposed to take a quick photo. And he had a big meeting with CEOs in our building, you know, massive CEOs. And he looks out the view and he just makes a beeline outside. And he just wants to talk about the first temple, second temple, you know, just it doesn't matter who you are. Right. You look there and you say, this is the history of the world. It's pretty amazing. That is amazing. So, so tell our listeners, Stephen, how can people find you? How can they connect with your purpose, your mission, learn more about what you're up to and that exciting vision that you uh, laid out for us earlier? Uh, I'm very easy. You know, I, I, my cell phone is, is actually, I just recently, one of our 
when our staffers send me like, do you know that you, you, your cell phone numbers on LinkedIn? I said, yes, I, I put it there. You know, anyone that wants to be in touch with me, we can WhatsApp me at 646-0872. But in terms of H, you know, H.com uh, is an amazing, robust website. People can go on to learn more about us. Um, and that, that, I think that's probably the best place. Or if you're in Jerusalem, we're at one Western Wall Plaza. Kind of, you know, COVID is, is God willing, moving away and come visit us. Absolutely. And we're going to get that information into the show notes as well. You'll be able to connect with Stephen on social media, all those places where we've been talking about, we need to be connecting nowadays. All right. So one, one final life lesson, please. One last vignette, one last idea that'll end this session and really deliver home the power of, of leadership and living a purposeful life. I think there's two things that I always look for in hiring and I look for myself and other people. And, and the first Humility is just the ability to learn from everyone else out there. You know, arrogant people, I don't like to hire arrogant people. I don't like to work with arrogant people. I think you have to have the understanding that every single person is someone I can learn from. from. And the other, uh, the other piece is, is being relentless. It's just being relentless. This is what I want to accomplish. And every time I hit a brick wall, I've got three choices. I can go around it, I can go over it, I can go through it. And, you know, if someone can take humility and relentlessness and marry those two, um, then I think those are like massively important leadership qualities. Really cool because, you know, oftentimes we think of humility as the opposite of relentless, you know, more of a, a someone who is cowards to the side and backs mm -hmm. away and self-effacing um, and good to great. I know Jim Collins talks about the level five leaders and many of them, not only are they introverted, that, that makes me feel good, uh, but they also were not necessarily the outward facing charismatic types, but yet, through their humility, they got a lot done. So not, not to be arrogant about your work, but to drive yourself and others around you forward in a way that ensures success. Um, this has been a very, very, you know, I haven't recorded a podcast recently. It's my own issues, a lot of stuff going on. What a great way to get back into it. Thank you so much oh, for pleasure. your time, so much for your wisdom, much, much success. I'll use the Hebrew Hatzlacha Rabbah. You should have continued success in all that you do. And hopefully all of that work towards revamping and tweaking and readjusting your vision will bring the fruits of success to you, um, to your organization and to everybody that you serve. Thank you so much. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here uh, with you and, and, and to see the way you're empowering so many other people to do great things. It's, it's Thanks. I really, I really do appreciate it. All the best now. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 